0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com. This is the Hip Hop Save My Life
1: podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the
2: podcast. Now sit back because it's time for the podcast. Welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life. We are delighted to be—it's another lockdown episode. I keep saying this every single time. Another one. Uh, we are delighted to be joined by James Acaster. Hello, James.
1: Thank you, rubbish. Here he is. Hello, Reaper. Reaper, you involved proper in the podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm a pointless sidekick. Brilliant. I didn't know that. You've listened to it loads, then.
1: Yep. Big fan.
2: And this is sort of the pin- pinnacle of your career,
1: getting on this. Of course it is. There you go. But my career has been one long list of pinnacles, to be honest.
2: So <laughs> there you go. Have you been uh, doing the podcast rounds since you've been on lockdown? Not
1: as such. Every now and again. I mean, I've got my own podcast, so it's mainly just like me recording my own ones. And I don't think I've done many other people's uh, podcasts besides this. But you know. My, my internet can sometimes be quite temperamental, so I'm trying to do as little as possible. Mm. Um basically it started going haywire lately i just kept all the existing ones in the diary of which this is one but i'll probably gonna disappear halfway
2: through <laughs> okay fine uh it's good to know uh i uh i did brett goldstein's podcast have you done have you done that
1: i did I, I, that was actually one of the ones i did in lockdown as well yeah
2: yeah so i did that and uh i didn't realize uh, i guess early de- early days in lockdown i was feeling a bit uh like i wanted stuff to do so i did a few podcasts and then every single time I podcast was announced Brett would get increasingly angry of me for undermining my own booking <laughs> on his podcast
1: yeah he's a very angry boy he acts like he's not he likes everyone to believe that he's a chill guy but he's a, a, very possessive and very furious and he doesn't really see that if he's got rubbish on his podcast then probably people are still going to listen to it people aren't going to go oh I don't know rubbish, <laughs> they're, they're all deliberately there's a reason why people book you on their podcast <laughs> uh,
2: yeah thank you James well thank you so much for joining us on ours mate I appreciate it
1: well to be honest I don't really listen to any podcasts but I do love music so getting to be on a, a podcast about music is the dream
2: Now, I, uh, I've i got to be honest with you. As a guest, I find you uh, quite intimidating. I'll tell you why. Because I came on your podcast recently. Yes. Um, and, like, I am guilty of, uh, as the podcast sort of implies, of being into primarily one genre of music, right? Whereas <laughs> you are... Um, You listen to everything, don't you? Pretty much. That's fair to say, isn't it? You're pretty eclectic, right? That is fair to say. Although, what I've discovered through like
1: uh, talking about music a lot more in the last year or so is that while it looks like I like loads of genres of music, I kind of only like one genre of music. So I like stuff that's a bit weird. If all genres aren't linear, there's actually crisscross of different things, and it's like everything that is a bit wacky. Uh, across all the genres so people who like one genre of music they know way more about that genre than i do they like loads more different uh hip-hop artists or rock artists than i do within that thing and uh their taste is probably broader in that respect whereas i just like people to be experimental uh across the board whatever the genre is uh,
2: yeah I, I do get that from you but like do you ever um because There's an argument that everything you then listen to is like really fucking challenging, right? Like, you know, like sometimes when you put on a record that sort of does what it says on the tin, Mm. there's something about that that's satisfying, isn't there? Where you go, I just fancy listening to this artist that does this thing that I know that he or she's going to do. Whereas you're listening to stuff where they could go anywhere, right? I mean, is that... Is that what attracts you to it?
1: Yeah, I think so. But also, like, I guess I do like some stuff that is more straightforward. But then it has to be almost like either the best version of that. So someone doing, you know, old school hip hop by the book or um, indie or grunge by the book. But they're just doing it better than anyone else. The musicians sound more distinct. Or I think because, like, mainly what I was brought up on was indie rock. I kind of will still lean towards just a good any good version of that that's probably the only one that I let slide of just like oh it's a pretty average just down the line indie band but it makes me feel safe and secure because it reminds me of growing up so I'll still listen to it
2: and what would you say your relationship with hip hop is I mean I know that you've got a very particular taste in hip hop but does that mean that the other stuff the more mainstream stuff you kind of stay just completely well away from I definitely don't stay well away from it I try and like be as open to it as possible and try and because also
1: because I think of all the genres of music right now uh, hip hop and like to some extent as well R&B are like constantly evolving and are leading the charge in terms of like moving music forward it's definitely mainly happening in hip hop and R&B and so I think being ignorant to what's happening in the mainstream there is um, a bit of a misstep because I want to keep on top of what's going on and, and I might find stuff that I really like also, there's a lot of experimental um, music in the mainstream of hip-hop too. So I think maybe I struggle sometimes with like some of the bigger trap stuff. And, uh, and it gets a little bit saturated and the artists don't always sound like they're trying, but then sometimes you get a real gem <laughs> out
2: of that. So, you know. It is, it is annoying. I don't mind a song being shit, but if they've not even bothered to put the effort in, Yeah, they're being casual about it. It's fucking irritating,
3: isn't
1: it? Yeah, and they're just like putting out an album or a mixtape every single year, sometimes more than one. And you're like, couldn't you have just like waited two years and put out 10 really amazing songs and given us something that we could listen to over and over again and be like, oh my god, this is so good? And tell all our mates, why did you have to do another one two months later that is absolute hot garbage and then we've got to all talk about it like it's genius still because you're telling us you're a genius. <laughs>
0: Here's a little bit
3: that you like to fall. how did you get into
2: hip hop? What's your route into hip hop? How did you get into it in the first place? Uh the earliest memory I have of getting into
1: hip hop was going round I think it's it, I don't think rock circus is a thing anymore but do you remember rock circus the madam two swords for for music?
2: No. No, I don't hip-hop. remember that. I've got no so recollection
1: of it. So that was in London. I don't know how long it existed for, but we visited London as a family and we went to Madame Two Swords and then immediately went to a Rock Circus afterwards. <laughs> I had like a full waxwork day. And Rock Circus, I was like in heaven. I loved music anyway and Who did they have? They had elton john i remember there's a big elton john wax work but they made Lovely. much bigger deal of it like when you walk around Swords, tussauds it, you do feel like you're in a museum rock circus felt like you were inside someone's imagination and it was amazing <laughs> and like elton john was like you know f- floating and playing the piano and it looked colorful and there was like loads of like bright lights and sparkly things orbiting him uh there was a whole they showed the sid vicious um my way video on this massive screen and like that shit me up i was like a kid and like at the end of it he shoots everyone i was like what the f- what is this like it's just horrible but like still like going away and thinking i want to know who the sex pistols are and they had now i've forgotten the band name which is awful but they were one of the videos they were playing was come baby come do you remember that song
2: Yeah, K seven, K nine, K oh, I think K
1: seven. I think it's K seven.
2: Yeah,
1: and uh, at that age, I only liked music. I I was obsessed with music, but I mainly liked it being funny. I liked there to be something about it that was comical or slightly funny, and I just found the song there was something amusing about it. How they kept on like doing all these little catchphrases all the way through, saying "swing bat 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 bat." Swing, bat, bat, bat swing, <laughs> whatever <laughs> that kind of stuff. Well,
2: the, ring, ring, ring. the telephone calls ring. Hello, hello. Always start getting busy. Now you're getting busy. I can slow it down so you can pump it. Then I move it down so you can pump it.
1: Then I bet. But bitch, I was ahead. Sliding at the home base, trying to hit a home run. Swing, bat, 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 bat. All those things really made me laugh and I loved it and I went to the library this is how most people get into hip-hop I think the, I went to the library <laughs> uh, when I got home to Kettering and I, I, um, I got out this best hip-hop songs of all time uh, cassette tape a double album uh, went home and listened to it non-stop, loved it so much that I uh, copied it onto a blank cassette uh, onto a blank tape before returning to the library, pretty badass and we would constantly listen to that. So that was my way into it. So I was in primary school still.
2: Can you remember the track listing on that?
1: Yeah, um, Magic Number was on there by De La Soul. Uh, PM Dawn was on there, which I've never listened to before or since. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salt and Pepper were on there. but it, it was that kind of stuff which was like, I think out of all of it, De La Soul is the only stuff I still would listen to in life. And
0: that's the Magic Number. All
3: mean difficult preaching is possibly pleasure pleasure in preaching starts in the heart something that stimulates the music in the measure measure in the music basically parts casually see but don't do like a soul because seeing and doing are action for monkeys doing
2: hip-hop hustle no rock and roll unless your name's Brewster because Brewster's a party it's weird isn' this it? it's cut because like della soul was sort of light and acceptable to the mainstream but that's because that's what they happen to be into and wanted to make yeah whereas all of the other stuff that you've named it's kind of stuff where they've made it light and acceptable because that's what they thought would be good to do. Do you know what I mean? Whereas De La Soul just sort of felt organically they fell into that, didn't
1: they? Yeah, and I loved them because I was, I mean, now I have a completely different opinion. But, like, at the time, as uh, a, you know, middle class white kid in Northamptonshire, um, I was like, oh, these guys are great. They're, they're like, singing about, they like, eating Twizzlers. And uh, they're like, eating candy and yogurt, and they're like really like nice boys, and they're all about like being hippies and, and stuff like that. I- even at that age, I was like, why do they have to sing about guns and and uh, and sex? It's very not. They shouldn't be bragging about that kind of stuff. So I always didn't believe the rappers who were, you know, rapping about their actual lives. To be fair to them. Uh, I was like, no, 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 because I was you know, in primary school and thought that my life experience was the only one that existed. So I thought De La Salle were the only
2: ones telling the truth. <laughs> I do, but there, I do think there's a certain element of truth in that. Like in terms of like, you'd hear rappers talking about how they're the absolute hardest. In their, in their area or whatever and nobody was fucking with them and stuff like that. And you think it's a weird overlap that the person who both happened to be sort of the hardest from that area also was the most musically talented. It felt like those were two yeah. things that wouldn't necessarily coincide. But um, I do know what you mean. You sort of go, well, I don't know if I like people talking like that. It's such a sheltered attitude to approach it from, isn't it? But you can't help yeah. to
1: essentially a little Tory just walking around my house being like, being like, oh, no, you? Should it shouldn't be glorified. I shouldn't be glamorising that court sort of behaviour. Uh, why do you have to sing about that? Well, because it's our lives and the system has put us into this situation. No, 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 stop. stop. Sing about yoghurt, please. I like yoghurt and I eat it. Why can't you just sing about yoghurt?
2: Do you think that there's a slight... Uh... You know, if you're from uh let's say Crawley for example, and you're listening <laughs> and you're listening to that music, do you think mm. there's a certain uh discomfort about the sort of voyeurism of that of like kind of deriving entertainment from that from talking about those things that are nowhere near your your kind of lifestyle?
1: I think maybe, I think for the artists it definitely sometimes feels like that. I think one of my favorite hip hop albums uh, Atrocity Exhibition by Danny Brown is kind of him kind of the whole album is about that, and him being like I kind of don't like the fact that I'm this freak show to you all now and you get to just stand back and look, oh, look at all this weird stuff he's done in his weird life
3: go dangerous, Go back.
1: Even though to be a good artist, uh, especially in hip-hop, it's good to talk about your own experience and be able to articulate that. And then you end up in this like weird situation and there, there's a lot of responsibility on the listener but h- how do we a- accept that responsibility how old are we when we realize we've even got that responsibility then what do we do with it I, I think there's very few occasions where when they, when they say that people listen to hip-hop and what they rap about and they start to emulate it I think a lot of the time they're emulating it because their life is already kind of in that they're, they're already stuck in s- similar kind of traps in, in like the way that you know society works and uh is stacked against them and stuff like you're not going to suddenly like i as a as the kid that i was wasn't going to start going out starting fights with people or like anything like you know <laughs> it was, that's not how it works it's because your back's against the wall you kind of in that situation anyway and then you, you learn that okay i've kind of got a front in order to survive in this uh, environment and these rappers are singing about that and so maybe i can take some tips from that i don't think people are suddenly going right
2: okay, i'm gonna yeah. start doing that for no reason <laughs> Well, it is, po- But the thing is, it is possible for you in Kettering to relate yeah. to the disenfranchisement of a rapper without necessarily connecting with the exact circumstance of that, right? So you might just, it mm. might be that you're, I don't know, that you're tuned into that, the sentiment rather than the actual kind of details of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's with all music, really. You can listen mm. to, you know, some really, someone who's, you know extremely depressed and you're actually quite a happy-go-lucky person but you can still relate to it because there's times in your life where you've just felt quite sad and you just go yeah i remember when i felt sad that way yeah <laughs> i mean it, it, it like, does it, it still... does
2: feel bad when you boil it down to what you're angry about it's just like yeah no i'm, I'm angry as well because mum and dad won't buy me that amiga you know i understand yeah. when it's like to feel really pissed off yeah. about things it just doesn't seem like anything's going your way i get that
1: that's what it turns into. And then the artists learn who their fans are and hate you. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> most of the time what it is, right? Rack your brains. have it some thought. What was the first hip-hop album you
2: bought? So what were the early albums, uh, like the early actual albums that you committed to and born and stuff? What was the stuff that you initially got into?
1: Yeah, well, I was like, I didn't start buying albums until I was a teenager. I was buying singles for ages and compilations. And then a really awful patch i'd say where the only hip-hop i listened to was or the only it wasn't hip-hop the only rapping i listened to was when it was involved in the awful genre known as new metal and when mm-hmm. i was like uh you know 13 to 15 i guess and and it was like that was all the rap i heard of which i'd say rage Against the machine mm-hmm. is the only one that has decent rapping in and then everything else is pretty much horrific rap. So who who, were, really
2: the, who were the new metal bands? Because obviously there's Limp Bizkit, there's Rage Against the Machine, not Rage Against the Machine, sort of rap metal.
1: Korn was seen to start that genre. They, they didn't really rap, although there was, if you want to hear the worst rap battle you have ever heard in your life... Mm, you yes, please. Go, go yeah. on the Follow the Leader album by Korn, and there's a track where Jonathan Davis and uh, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit are having a rap battle, and God. it is the most pathetic thing you've ever heard it is toe-curlingly embarrassing the things that they're saying to each other is just so like the disses that they're using also like the slurs that they're using that that suddenly like i, I don't know if i'd heard them on normal rap tracks like actual rap songs and just like like block, block block them out and then you hear two Kind of white boys said it to each other and then suddenly they sound absolutely horrific and you realize you, you see them for the awful slurs they actually are.
0: Who the fuck you think you're talking to? I'm known for eating little whiny chumps like you. Whatever. All up in my face with that are you ready? But halitosis is all your are rockin' steady. Your little fairy, smelling on your flowers, nappy hairy chest, look it's Austin Powers. I, I hear you tootin' on the bagpipes, Clyde, but you said the best, there's no place to hide.
1: It's a very uncomfortable song. I can't even remember what the song's called. Joel Domit would be able to tell you at the drop of a hat. Oh. But like 100%. it's it's absolutely can you, horrific.
2: Can you remember any of the slurs?
1: Yeah, I'm not saying them. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just, just just go straight to the top shelf, the the worst slurs yeah. you can say about each individual group, and they basically just oh, go yeah. through them. So it's it's not not good.
2: Rupert, um, are you trying to you trying to get James cancelled or some shit? You're not gonna get him like that. Yeah. I was trying. what born <laughs> yesterday. Um <laughs> Papa Roach were a, a new metal band
1: and I saw them at Ozfest. And I don't want to be like I'm shitting on metal music cuz I I do love loads of metal and stuff like that. But like new metal in general was pretty horrific and um Papa Roach especially were like uh awful awful band. And I saw them at Ozfest when I still kind of liked them. I liked their debut album. And the the singer, Kobe Dick. Um that's his name that he choo- he, he chooses to be called by. There you go. His rapping live, it's the first time that as an audience member, I've gone, are you, are you shitting me? Like, I, I, you you can't actually, this can't be what you're bringing to the table here. There's thousands of us. You're in a professional band. This is your job. And the breaths you are taking, like after every other word in between, he was missing entire words. Half half of a sentence was missing because he was trying to catch his breath. You're, like, you're meant to be <laughs> rapping in a, ba- like you can't. And also as, a white guy rapping, you have got to be on it, mate. You can't be just going, you're oh, sorry, and then continue to pass yourself <laughs> off as a rapper. That is beyond rude. Like, so it, it was, uh, I remember being very angry watching Papa Roach live and seeing him like wheezing in between uh, sentences and missing half of it out. So I still hadn't bought a rap album at that point to, to answer your question. So the first time I started buying out rap albums was my second kind of wave of getting into hip-hop was when I was in my late teens and I started getting into the um, Anticon label. I'm I'm pausing now because it's hard to say what the first one I bought was because the first band I got into on that was Y, but they were also very indie and mixed hip-hop with indie stuff and I wouldn't say they did a hip-hop album. But Cloud Dead, I'd say, was hip hop, and I'll probably, right. probably that, like that indie indie rap kind of way into it, was like my second wave of getting into it. Um So, yeah, I probably bought 10 by Cloud Dead. Pop. Popsicle. No. The
0: label the speaker. At the back of a sheep's throat. throat. Tongue depressor with the whip. With the width of a spatula. Suppresses all.
2: How did you get to that I mean like, if you' if you're listening was that just off listening to more mainstream stuff and you just and then you just came across them or was it that the sort of thing you were looking for
1: well I'd really gone off of like mainstream hip hop for quite a few years because when I got into like um, punk and metal when I was 13 that was all I listened to for like uh, until I was about 16 17 in school so I kind of just didn't engage with anything else and then I just got sick of it. And was like oh, why am i just listening to this all the time and i wanted to get into as much stuff as i possibly could i met my friend graham who is still my mate now and we got we formed a band together and we're like right we're gonna listen to jazz and we're gonna listen to dance music and we're gonna listen to hip-hop and it was kind of my way in back into hip-hop was like because it's you know why were guitar based still and were a bit more, like, kind of Beck and stuff like that in terms of how much, like, hip-hop influence there was in there. So it was a way back into it, and then on that record label, finding artists like Sage Francis and stuff like that who were a bit more pure hip-hop orientated um, and discovering it that way. But I'd say still for a few years, the main stuff I listened to hip-hop-wise was all on that record label.
2: Yeah, and that is... uh like you said it's on the edges not on the edges in terms of quality or anything it's great stuff but there are loads of hip hop fans that wouldn't have wouldn't have ever dabbled with that kind of stuff at all right I mean it's, you're sitting on the fringes of the genre in that way aren't you
1: absolutely and also like even within that label there was arguments of like what is hip hop and what isn't and, and like, yeah. people like people like Sage Francis pointing at why and being like get out of here you're not you do not belong here. it's not hip hop you're not a rapper and so like even amongst that there was like disagreement I'd say the most kind of I was still at that time, I was buying like classics as well. So it's like outside of that label, I was buying like Wu Tang and and stuff like that, and and being like, I'm like, I'm gonna educate myself with these with these classic albums hip-hop albums and getting into those but that was more while i do like those albums now at the time it was more that i was trying to educate myself and having to kind of force myself to like it a bit more it wasn't just an organic thing of like this is what my ears are tuned to and i enjoy i was like it's important that i listen to 36 chambers and and straight out of compton and stuff like that because these are massive albums and i've written off this genre for too long now (laughs)
2: It's weird, isn't it, where you sometimes have these records that you feel like you should listen to? And I had a friend of mine recently get in touch with me because I kept on going on about Run the Jewels, right? And I just, I love the Run, I love Run yeah. the Jewels so much. And then he messaged me recently going, Man, I'm really sorry, but I just, I'm just not, I can't get into Run the Jewels. And I keep trying to listen to them because I know that I'm supposed to like them because I do like hip hop, but he goes, But I just can't. Yeah. And I just said to him, You don't have to like them, it, man. It's like, it doesn't, because, because like he knew that people he knew that his opinion that they their opinion he trusted about hip hop, he felt like he had to, there was something wrong with him because he wasn't he wasn't enjoying the enjoying yeah. their music. Do you know what I mean? I mean there is. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, It's mad. <laughs> I mean that's a good He likes hip hop and doesn't like run the jewels. What the fuck is he listening to?
2: Uh look, He's I mad. um don't get me wrong, the guys are cunt. But but but, but the, point the point I'm trying to make is there's there's no reason for him to force himself to, to listen to yeah,
1: it. Absolutely. And especially, like, I think with hip-hop, it's harder to, like, you know, when the age I was, 17 or whatever, and trying, actively trying to get into 36 Chambers when it's, like... I mean, that is such a different world to, to what my life was. Um, and, like... Which I think is, in a way, very good to kind of, like, try and get into it for that reason, which is, isn't what I was doing. I wasn't trying to educate myself with, like, uh, you know, this is a completely different world to mine and let, let's, like, listen to that and learn about it. I just wanted to listen to classic albums that were... so. But musically, hip-hop had moved on so much from it in a way that it was weird going back and listening to 36 Chambers, which I still like now, but, like, trying to get into, like, oh, okay, the instrumentals kind of sound like... these are. It's very different to what I was used to hearing with hip-hop. And a bit more primitive as well. Like you could hear them, like they were making it sound quite dirty and um, not very clean. And that took me a while to adjust to. And that was a real hard transition to go. Like, okay, this is where it started from, or don't start from Wu Tang, but like you know, this is like where a lot of the groups nowadays who are they're influenced by this album and trying to kind of like access it that way.
2: Well, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because a lot of those Wu Tang records and stuff like that, they kind of sound unfinished. To a, if you're not tuned into that kind of thing, you just sort of think surely they should have. I mean, there's a bit where they're talking over each other. I mean, shouldn't they have sorted that out before they put this out? That's the flirt. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it is a weird thing where you just sort of go, well, that's part of the charm of it, I guess. But um, but yeah, I totally get where you. I totally get where you're coming from.
3: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
0: JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey man,
2: what's your favorite hip hop album? Is there a hip-hop album that stands out for you as kind of your favourite or the one that you keep going back to? Uh,
1: yeah, there's a few that are like, like... I mean, it changes a lot because there's. I think every year something gets released where I think, oh, this is my new favourite hip-hop album or something because like, there's always people pushing it. Um, the ones that I return to the most and that I feel the biggest connection to, I mean, pretty recent as well, but like is um, Mad Villainy, to Pimper Butterfly and um, Everything's Fine by Gene Grey and Quelly Criss.
0: Hack, crest, black, rock, man and off. Smack, pause with the catch from the Donna Party. That's a body party. Sierra, Nevada. I'm Hunter's lawyer scared of nada. You, Mary, and
1: those are the kind of three that I don't, I can't really see a point where I don't like those albums and I know they're quite like well, maybe Everything's Fine isn't it, as go-to but like the first two are like pretty standard, a lot of people would say them so therefore, "Everything's Fine" feels a bit more personal to me. Haven't you appeared
2: on a Quilly Chris' album? Is that, have I just made, I haven't made that up? Have I? That is incorrect. I've appeared on two of them. <laughs> <laughs> how did that come about? How did this happen?
1: I tweeted about how much I loved "Everything's Fine," and then he—I think he quote-tweeted it, saying, "Great, we should work together." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, that's a joke, because there's no way he knows who I am." so ha 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 but then I replied still being like yeah just tell me when and he was like cool well I'll be in touch we'll sort something out and I was like well okay and then like he DM'd me later on being like uh, okay yeah I've got a bit that I'd like you to do for this next record uh, and, I, and I was like sorry how have you <laughs> how have you heard of me and he said oh during everything's fine um, we just started watching Mot the Week are you wow. serious yeah we're watching Mott the Week So he, he probably knows who you are but like, he's like, yeah, we was watch What the Week a lot. And uh, so I've seen you on that. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, I didn't expect that. So yeah, doing that bit for him. So that was on his album Guns. And uh, he sent me through this monologue. And I had to record it. I did a podcast recording where we were in a studio. So I thought, right, I'll just do it after that and stay in. And I felt so stupid because like, some of the people was sticking around to hear me do this monologue. And I was like... I was like I feel so and he sent like example of him doing it. I was like he sounds amazing on it. Like his voice is really smooth and deep and he just makes it sound like there's just a real authority to it. And I sound like an absolute nerd. And then Nish was there, Nish Kumar, and Nish kind of went James he has asked you to do this for a specific reason and I don't think it's because you sound really cool and smooth <laughs> like he's asked you to do this because he you're a comedian that's your job because you're a comic and you sound like a bit of a nerd and he's got that in mind and that's why he's asked you to do it so like I had and I was like oh okay i get it now and then I got to record it but like it's still the bit for me I love that album I love Guns and I Fucking forget man. that I'm on it because I'm just a fan of him and I was a fan of him yeah. first. And so every time I'm listening to it, I'm just having the best time. I was like, oh, fuck, this guy's a genius. He's so good. <laughs> and then suddenly I hear my voice. I'm like, who oh, the fuck is that? What the? And I, I, I just had to skip it. Who are you? What are you? And what, and what do, you do you want, want from, me? from me? Is it, is it money? My My joy, my my loyalty, my my compliance. compliance. Should Should
3: I laugh? Should I I cry? Should I fear? fear? Why Why should I I care care at all?
2: all? I don't even
1: know. I'm like, you're ruining this album for everybody. I feel like I need to apologize. (laughs) But I will happily ruin as many of his albums as he wants me to. It's, It's such an honor being able to do it. never really talked to him about what i've met him once because he came to a show i did in new york and um i never really I, but I that was before i recorded this thing for him or i'd even seen it so i didn't know what it was i never really asked him like why what's the what's the thinking behind it because I, I guess we were both weirdly you know uh, kind of fans of each other I'm oh, definitely a fan of his i'm not going to call him a fan of mine but like because I, <laughs> I, I, I put words in his mouth but we, we were both aware of each other and had seen each other's stuff and so like then both doing the monologue over the top of one another uh talking to each other in that way and uh, saying the same thing i don't know if that was a part of it i don't i really don't know Hmm. (laughs) i don't understand the thing that i did it could be absolutely It could be the most offensive thing i've ever done in my life i'm not not aware of it
2: um it's a weird thing i mean it's kind of lucky that you had nish there to kind of uh shake you up and give you sort of that that pep talk of of his because like it's so difficult isn't it because obviously like you said you're a fan of his and he's from such a different world to where you're from and so your instinct is to go i'm going to try and second guess what it is i'm supposed to do on this hip-hop thing do you know what I mean like yeah. it's yeah. and then you just sort of and then you that you run the risk of trying to sound hip-hop or something or more hip-hop than you normally sound in some way i mean that's yeah that's i could have like, sent him and sounded like kobe dick you know <laughs> there you go <laughs>
1: I've done that. it would be like, what is, why are you wheezing? What, what, what is this? Why are you trying to be? I've asked you. And I, 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 like, like, I could have asked, I know a lot of rappers that I could have asked to do this. Why would I ask you? Think it through. I saw you on Mock the Week, mate.
2: Uh, how nervous were you after you sent it off to him?
1: Really nervous, but also like, it was this thing of like having to just trust him and be like, okay, hopefully, like he'll just, because I, I was really excited about it. I was like, I really want it to be on the record, and if it's not on there, hasn't made the cut, I'll be really disappointed. But then when it was one of the singles in the end. So like it came out before the album and Ed Gamble texted me going, The song's out and you are on it.
2: Did you say you appeared on a second track as well
3: then of his?
1: Yeah, on the new album, uh on the intro track. It's right. this thing where it, it's because um, it's it's a sequel, this album to an album that he did in 2015 called Innocent Country. And this is Innocent Country 2. And so he wanted the start to be like a previously on Innocent Country and then like a catch up. And so he sent through the whole kind of like fake catch up. And I just did all of it. And then he was like, I'll chop it up and I'll use some of what you did, some of what other people did and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't know what bits of mine were going to be used on this, new album or if any of it would and i i was was very excited about the record again because it's like favorite so i I put it on and i'm the first thing on it (laughs) is is and i I was like i'm beyond happy with that like i can't tell you especially during lockdown for that to come out and for me to put it on and the first thing is me going previously on two dirt for tv's innocent country and i was like this is the best day of my life (laughs) i can't express enough happier with that than i am with anything i've done in my own career anything that i've created (laughs) like it made me feel so much prouder and way way happier that i did that
2: has he reached out since and said this is going to continue throughout his sort of career of albums well
1: i've reached out to him about something that i'm doing and uh he said that he would he would be involved but it's very 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 early stages at the minute so we will see when i get round to the when it gets to the stage that um i would need him and if he's then still able to do it but um you know uh gene gray who is you know obviously that he did everything's fine with uh did mine and ed's off menu podcast and stuff so like uh I, hopefully will continue to every now and again pop up in each other's uh... i guess
2: it's going to get to a point where if he puts out an album that doesn't have you on it's going to be crushing
1: yeah oh i'll be gutted actually to be fair i'm absolutely delighted that i've even got two of them it's like i I feel the same way as i do with panel shows where like i'll do one and you you can do one episode and and really you just want to get booked once more (laughs) because then that that shows everyone that you weren't shit on it
2: (laughs) and that's all you want that's so true that's so true (laughs) Uh, so uh, to pimp a butterfly, why that over the Ken- Kendrick's other ones? I I just think it's
1: it's one of those albums that I listen. I mean, not that I listen to many albums and think I could do this because I I couldn't, but I can't conceive of how he did the album. So like, there's, there's certain albums that you listen to and go, I don't even know how you've made. I I I wouldn't know where to start with anything like this. It just seems like otherworldly and magical how you've made something this dense and yet even though like i wouldn't call it accessible because it wasn't easy for me to get into it i bought it the year it came out because everyone was talking about it and i found it very hard to get into because of how dense it was and then the following year where i bought um untitled unmastered and loved that and then was able to get into to pimper butterfly because that untitled unmastered was kind of like this is a simpler way of like explaining what I was doing on that album. I was like, okay, I get it now. And now I'm going to go back and listen to that. And then it was like, oh, like there's not a second on this where you're not hitting us on so many different levels. I mean, what I like about him is that he's just business-wise and career-wise, like he's just so smart in what he puts out every time. Like, you know, from his debut album of being like, okay, this is a good way to introduce myself to people. And now I'm going to up it and do like a more ambitious version of that. And then to Pimper Butterfly coming out and being like, none of you would have seen this coming. This is like full on, I'm trying to do one of the best albums of all time. And then it's quite smart to then release some B-sides afterwards because it's low pressure, but after this massive thing, how do you follow that up? And then to go, now I'm just going to do like a trap album and prove that I'm better at this genre than anyone who's doing it at the minute and that I could have done this if I wanted to. And I'm just going to do that in my sleep. Um, So while I like all of his albums for different reasons... That one is just like, well, you're on Mount Rushmore now. And that's you. You, you've, you. Very few artists in any genre produce anything like that.
2: Do you think you're drawn to musicians that have the same approach? Because of what you're describing of like putting your heart and soul into a thing and being very careful about what you put out and thinking about very carefully. I mean, that is how you've approached your own career in terms of the shows you put out and stuff like that. Do you think there's a commonality to that in terms of your sort of attracted to artists who have the same kind of attitude to their output that you do? Well, in a sense, but like kind of the other way around in a way, in that, like, you know, I I like that kind
1: of stuff. And so when I'm doing a show, I'm just very honest with myself if I'm, you know, making the kind of thing that I wouldn't want to watch myself and that I I go, well, this person... Also, I just find it more enjoyable to throw myself into it. Anytime I try and avoid the actual work and not do something very well uh, or to the best of my ability then it's so much more of a ball lake because I've still got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, now I've got to go out there and say all this stuff that I know is rubbish and stand in front of these people and I uh, kind of uh, avoid doing work it every day and that's in my head that I know that I should be doing it but I'm not doing it. It's actually much more fun to just sit down and go, right, let's let's try and you know and, and make this happen because that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy and I feel quite short-changed sometimes when I listen to something that's an album that's not done that and they've just gone you'll buy it anyway you idiots there you go i'm like i'm not an idiot (laughs) i wanted to listen to a good thing so like yeah i I just like i think i got into stuff because it was uh, you know i got into music because it was exciting and so i I just want to continue to be excited by it and uh i definitely don't want people spending money on seeing me live and then leave and know that I didn't do all that I could to make them feel the same way
2: I find that they I did try my very hardest but they still walk away bitterly disappointed I mean that's the that's the line that I'm walking
1: oh that's always going to (laughs) happen there's always going to be people who are disappointed but that's what you want also I mean that's part of it is that I want to be able to feel like I don't care when that happens so as much as possible if people turn around and tell me that was a bag of shit I want to be like oh well it's subjective so fine but I know it's I know it's not <laughs> so, I know it's know not objectively a bag of shit what I just did for you I know that it's a matter of taste like if someone turns around to Kendrick and goes to pick a butterfly is absolute bollocks it's one of the worst albums I've ever heard I don't think he's going to go home and go maybe I made a shit album like I think it's just going to be like <laughs> all right, mate, you clearly don't like that. That's fine. You know, that's what that's the dream. Because every gig I've ever done, someone's gone away thinking I'm the worst comedian they've ever seen. No doubt that's happened at every single show. But I want to at least be like, have known in my heart that it, it wasn't that bad.
2: You know? Is that... Uh, well, because I was, I was, actually, this is what I was going to say to you at the beginning of the thing, because you, you're off uh, all social media now, aren't you? Yeah. But um, I did a show in Edinburgh, and I had like a gig that, you know, it was a rare one in terms of I came away from it thinking, oh, that went well. I enjoyed that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I'm fairly happy about it. And then I got a tweet from somebody who said, I left at the interval because that was yeah. easily one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I couldn't bring myself to watch the <laughs> second half. Right? So, yeah. So like, but it was so funny to me. Well, I say it was so funny. It was it was actually horrible. Was that that one message yeah. completely, undermined everything good about that evening do you mean and so um actually I sort of think is that is that the is that the kind of thing that you're taking yourself away from and and have you totally I mean you've enjoyed being off social media I take it right
1: I love being off it but that's not what I was taking myself away from I kind of I, I had a break from it um once um before I can't remember what it was but it was like I didn't delete my Everything I, I intended to go back on it, but it was like uh when Edinburgh, I just was like, because Edinburgh's the worst for it because you're you are your ego's a lot more brittle and fragile and and you're really you really want the show to be good and to get in good reviews and all this kind of stuff and to be selling tickets. So then when someone does tweet in Edinburgh, that was shit. It can upset you when it doesn't normally. But I, I so I took a break from it one Edinburgh and then I because I then chose to go back on it. I'd chosen to not care what people were saying to me. So from that moment onwards, I didn't care. Whenever when, when anyone tweeted that was rubbish, I thought it was really funny. And I, I had a gig on my last tour last year in Liverpool where someone left in the interval, or before the interval, 20 minutes in, <laughs> and tweeted me that they're on, they're on their way home right now and you're probably still on stage um, saying that all Leave voters are racist, you piece of shit. And all this kind of like really, really not liking me. And, uh, and I, just, I saw that in the interval and then went back on and just really, I thought it was the funniest thing and just told them all, like, this guy. And like, they all found him on Twitter and they didn't bully him. They actually had a laugh with him. And he was actually quite nice by the end and kind of admitted that he probably was a bit hasty. But like, um, I was just found it funny. And like, I was, I'm taking myself away from just what social media does to me. So like, I don't want to be checking it all the time. I don't want to be on it all day checking it. It feels so empty. And like, there's, and just, I feel like, I mean, I don't believe in a soul, but like, I feel like, my, you know, whatever people want to call the soul, I feel that getting eroded every time I'm on there and just let, you know, there's cultures that believe if you have your photograph taken, you lose a part of your soul. I feel like that with Twitter. Just like every time I scroll down and look at my app mentions or whatever, I just feel that part of me just going away and going away. And I didn't like the fact that I would do a gig that I really enjoyed. And then I had to go on there for reassurance. It was good or whatever. Cause I, because it didn't make me feel good when people said it was great or, or it didn't make me feel bad when people said it was shit. It just made me feel bad that I went on there in the first place just to see. And I was like, and eventually as well, I just didn't like reading other people's stuff. That was the main thing, like people arguing on there about really important issues, but having these like arguments where I was like, oh, everyone's coming across bad on this and it's making me feel like there's no hope for humanity at all. And it's making me feel less positive about human beings than I did before I looked on this app. And actually, if I have conversations with people in real life about these subjects, even if I disagree with them, I tend not to walk away thinking, well, the human race is fucked. We're absolutely fucked. I kind of think, oh, no, okay, you know, I, that's a person and uh, not not a monster. And so, like, I just, for my own uh, sanity, I like, I can't be on there for that. But, like, in terms of people saying I was shit, I didn't care anymore. I thought it was mm. funny.
2: I, I, I fell into the trap of... Uh, if it was negative, I'd go, oh, God, yeah, you are doing something. And if it was positive, somebody said, I really enjoyed that. I just thought, oh, that person's a fucking idiot. I yeah, can't. Sure, <laughs> that's. It's just, that was my kind of reaction to it. But, yeah, I, I mean, you've definitely tempted me to come in off it. Uh, it doesn't feel it's like you've had, any, you've had any negative repercussions. People make out, like, if you get off there, that's it. Like,
1: all your fans are gone. No one's going to want to see you anymore because they're not aware because you, you need social media presence. Bollocks absolute bullshit it's like it's like thinking that if you don't go to a new year's eve party those people aren't your friends anymore that's it's nonsense
2: <laughs> live show experiences have you seen much uh hip-hop live i haven't been to enough hip-hop shows but the ones i've been to uh
1: so i went to see kendrick in birmingham with nish and um the, my favorite thing about that was when we were queuing up there was a, a cocktail bar uh that was like in a hotel uh, across from the venue, trying to lure people in uh, with the slogan, we've got fun, fizz, and good times in our DNA really made me laugh. (laughs) Couldn't stop laughing at it. The the thought that Kendrick would ever say that he likes fun, fizz and good times really made me laugh. And that show was great. That's like the best show I've seen in an arena. Um, He really used the space was popping up in different places. It was awesome. Um, so Open Mike Eagle in a small venue in, um, in Bristol supported by Milo. I, I love the, both of them and I, Open Mike Eagle's voice. Uh, I, just, I just love the, the tone of his voice. And it was around the time it was Brick Body Kids, which is like one of my favorite hip hop albums as well. And mm. uh, seeing him do those songs live is amazing. Don't
3: call me nigga, a rapper. My motherfucking name is Michael Eagle. I'm sovereign, I'm from a line of ghetto superheroes. I holler, I got something to bring Ooh. to your attention. Attention, 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 I promise you I will never fit in your descriptions I'm dying, don't let nobody tell you nothing different They lying, a giant in my body is a building, a building, a building, a building No services underground So
1: De La Soul at Festival in like 2012 or something And uh the best thing about that... So, There was kind of issues. One of them had mic issues and we couldn't really hear them, but they didn't know that. So (laughs) what happened was, (laughs) what happened was is that Trugoy, whose mic was working, was getting really frustrated with the audience because they weren't reacting enough (laughs) to what he was saying because he, he, he would say stuff like everybody on this side makes some noise but only the front could really hear him so everyone else wouldn't make noise and then True Guy would be like everyone make some noise and on this side it would be like
3: Whoa, like that
1: <laughs> and then so they were like this side of the crowd are a bunch of fucking dicks like what is their problem and then True Guy started getting us to be like okay everyone say fuck you to this side everyone say fuck you you fucking what are you even here for and it's like think it through mate it can't be that statistically everyone on that side is a dickhead like it could, it might be that you're having technical difficulties and also he started complaining after because he's in a b- bit of a bad mood and the things he complained about were hilarious because it at one point he went oh it's so fucking sunny and him and a rapper <laughs> saying sunny was funny and then he got angry that he said all of you are waving your fucking flags and like people had like banners and stuff You're waving your fucking flags, it's so sunny. (laughs) So, like, that was like, real highlight, quoted that for a long time.
2: That sounds um, like a very out-of-character Della actually. gig, actually. That's, uh, they must have been It out was like a really the moodiest,
1: thing. you just wouldn't expect them to be that moody. And the intro was so exciting because they had this whole, like, Three uh, Feet High and Rising intro of people giving testimonies about having heard the album. And you're like, here we go. They're not going to do Three Feet High and Rising. This is fucking great. I think they did about two or three songs off that album. Uh, they did quite a bit. just great. Yeah, fine. I'd love I to see a mix of stuff. But that intro was like it's three feet high and rising time like oh my god i didn't know it was gonna be this <laughs> and then it was just like them getting angry at us and how sunny it was um oh yeah i went we'll see death grips as well out of the shadows barrage of witch tongue cobra spit over apocalyptic go kill a cauldron smoke stop music seriously no. It goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes it Can't goes. stop the groove Look stars clear off them locks Relentless rock Movement for the knock Commuter that G-Spot body Rock, connect it To everything you want Everything what we got it Well knock come Get us together in that hole And watch me drop this cold guillotine Just sent in yeah. uh, How was that? Uh, oh, exactly as you imagined it to be So, equal parts Awe-inspiring And completely infuriating We got there at like I don't know they were the only band they had no support at it was unclear on the website what time they were starting it was a, a Brixton Academy and it's full of like I would say and I should have known this the worst people in the world <laughs> just like Death Grips fans are just the most you know very annoying middle class uh posh like students who are just getting to grips with irony and love being ironic and doing stuff ironically and uh We got there, and at half eight, the lights went down in the room, and this noise started that kind of went, and everyone just, like, rushes out of the bar and into the main room, and are like, here we go, here we go. And that noise went on, and I'm not exaggerating, for 90 minutes. (laughs) An hour and a half. (laughs) Bear in mind, they performed. They performed for one hour when they did eventually take the stage. So the, the the noise, which was essentially their support act, I guess, lasted longer than they did. But everyone, so everyone crowds in the room and it's constantly climbing in pitch. So it's just kind of going, but really slowly. And every now and again, probably every twenty minutes, they would change the stage lighting to make you think now they're going to come on so everyone's in wow. there and obviously because it's Death Grips fans who like Death Grips fans love the fact that they, be, that they that they get trolled by these guys so they lean into it 100% lean into it so they basically keep up the the gig's about to start atmosphere for the full 90 minutes so all of them cheering clapping like at one point they started the Jeremy Corbyn chant to that White Stripes <laughs> tune they were doing that for a while and, and oh, wow. me and Ed, I, I bought Ed Gamble with me, who I was introducing to Death Grip. So like this is like I already like them, and I'm like, yeah, of course this is happening. Ed is on the fence about them, and every every ten minutes or every five minutes, it, I guess the time kept getting shorter. He kept turning to me, going, "I'm just sorry, mate. I, I'm going to leave." And I was like, <laughs> "No." <I'm completely> under- <laughs> Like and like, yeah. if you want to go home I completely get it like of, of <laughs> course you would like it's fine I can you know I can go home by myself but you don't have to stay and they go I'll give it another five and he kept on being like oh I want to go so much but like they keep on but then when they came on stage it was amazing the light show was incredible that such incredible musicians and performers mc Ride is like iconic i love zach hill before i even liked before i even properly got into hip-hop again i loved um all of his bands he's one of my favorite drummers i was into hello and marnie stern and bands like that so like i was very excited when i got into hip-hop and discovered that he had now had a hip-hop like kind of experimental hip-hop group going so they were amazing live but we still left early and it felt great. We left them for fi- we watched them for fifty <laughs> minutes, and then we're like, "Okay, we've, we've had it now." I and mean, we we left. And it felt good because the trolling that they did beforehand, I didn't just want to feel like I was completely like under their like wrapped around their finger, and I'll just stay for the whole goddamn thing. It felt quite good to go home early and be like, "Yeah, do you know what?" Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. And apparently, you only played for another ten minutes anyway.
2: Uh, well done for drawing your line in the sand. It's a good move.
1: Yeah, I felt it felt good. Don't want to get bullied by a band that I like. But in the end, I'm like, Egh.
2: plug one, plug two, guest plugs for you. Okay, well, James, listen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. You've been an amazing guest. Best um, guest. Best guest, Rupert. You. Is that you just That's came? Up? I didn't even I didn't even prompt that. You just came out of, uh, out of nowhere. I appreciate that, Rupert. James, what would you like? Is there anything you want to plug or point us to in terms of what you've got coming up?
1: Yeah, I would love to plug um, my new podcast, uh, James Acast's Perfect Sounds, which you uh, did me the honour of being the the guest on the very first episode of, and you've done another episode which is coming out later in the series. Ramesh, I'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. being released as well. While well, I try and convince people that 2016 is the greatest year for music of all time uh, by send in an album in advance to my guests and they come on and they talk about it and i'd see if they will if they liked the album if they'll admit that it is the greatest year for music of all time and i've got a book that accompanies that called perfect sound whatever as well and if you read the book and think some of these anecdotes are familiar yes i told them on the podcast you've
2: just listened to (laughs) just like let let me off the hook (laughs) Uh, okay well James thank you so much man Uh, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out to come on the podcast me too thanks for having me enjoy the rest of your lockdown see you guys you're good people right.
3: when you make decisions for your company you look for the no brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer